0: To the next one, or sure, we want to ask it. some more questions. We can let's, 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 one. Move on to, let's move on to the next one. Okay, no, we're good. Gonna we're gonna break this up into two parts here. This is gonna be a <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be a big boy. I like it.
1: <laughs> Sorry, am I talking too <laughs> no, long? No, you I okay. do not no, stop.
0: <laughs> super it's super informative. Okay, so we're going, and the type of glassware matters. Uh, yeah, I'll touch.
2: So yeah, glassware does matter. Uh, It it does and it doesn't. Okay, so here's the thing. If you are a person that liked to drink out of a mason jar, I'm all for it, 100%. Okay, (laughs) I'm not a glass snob. um, Especially when it comes to everyday drinking wines. I will argue for investing in some halfway decent glasses for special wines, special occasion wines. Uh, because you will get more aromatically out of them and therefore more on your palate because the more you smell, the more you taste, right? So we talked about what we talked about earlier. So the most important thing with glassware is not name brand or anything like that. It is is first and uh, really only the thickness of the glass, especially at um, the top of the glass where you're going to drink from. So the thinner, the better, basically. Mm. And the reason for that is because... The thinner the glass is, the more air is going to be introduced on your palate as you sip the wine. Okay? And air is really important to get the wine to express itself. That's why you often hear people, like, doing this kind of reverse whistle thing, this slurping thing. Yeah. When they taste wine like this. Right? All you're doing is aerating the wine on your palate. Okay. So that helps kind of. Release all the all the esters and aromatics so that your olfactory can pick them up and that you can smell and therefore taste more. Okay, so when you go buy want to buy some nice glass glasses, just look for the thinnest lips that you possibly can. Indigo. Okay. Yeah, they'll make a nice noise and everything, right. um, but you also have to remember that the thinner they are, the easier they will to break. break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and they're expensive, and those they're expensive. Crystal
1: yeah. Riedels we're talking about. E.
2: Yeah, or like Zalto or all the you know Gabriel Glass, all the hip hip names these days, and they're beautiful glass glasses, and they they feel really nice too because they're basically weightless. You know, so that's a nice feeling, but it's not necessary. I would say for the average you know, person drinking wine that wants to get a little more out of it, find a happy medium, find one that's like these, you know, thin, thin, not, not a Mason jar or Libby glass or, but like (laughs) not crazy thin either. It's somewhere in between where it's going to really help the wine express itself and you're not going to blow through them by breaking them every time you wash
1: them. If you do break them, you're not super sad.
2: Yeah. You know, exactly. You get something that, I don't know, costs retail 10 bucks or 15 bucks tops instead of, 60 bucks (laughs) right that's what the that's what the really nice ones cost it's just not necessary um you can get plenty of pleasure out of something that is totally middle of the road for sure but it is i would say worth investing in in some at that level because you will get a lot more out of your wine and then save the you know the the porch pounding pinot grigio for the mason jar in the middle of summer that's cool you don't need a glass every single time
1: Um, Put ice cubes in
2: yeah, totally. <laughs>
1: you know, that.
2: absolutely. Throw Throw
1: it. wine. Eh? Yeah,
2: so. if that's what they like, then go for it. There is no rules really. Like I hate when people get all snotty about wine, and we the the latest generation of sommeliers have worked very very hard to dispel that snottiness and to make wine fun again. Wine should be fun. Yeah. Uh, it is fun. It just it does. There not doesn't need to be this lording of knowledge and this gatekeeping around wine. It's dumb. Okay, everyone should be enjoying wine. If someone wants to drink Pinot Grigio or New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc with ice cubes in a mason jar, they're drinking wine. I'm happy. That's all I care about. I don't give a shit if it's in a good glass or if they're drinking at the perfect temperature or eating it with the right food. None of that matters. What matters is that they're drinking wine, okay, and not – Fucking booze or beer? No, I'm just kidding. Um, like, no, bro. I'm, I'm just kidding. I love those things too. I love those things too. I just,
1: just, I just just enjoying it, right? Yeah. Drink some yeah. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: No, I'm just teasing. I love I love all things beverage. Um, but yeah, we get. I think I think you know that whole old school image of a sommelier with a test van and the tux and everything. Yeah. It's just it, it didn't help our industry and didn't help. Make wine more approachable for more people. Yeah, Uh, and that—that's all I'm I'm referring to now. So
0: Tyler almost wore his tux shirt today, but uh,
1: I told him not to. Tuxedo t-shirt? I got got rid of that, (laughs) guys. Oh my gosh! I got a tattoo. This is delicious on my neck. (laughs) You like this wine?
2: Yeah. So the next wine is is pretty cool. It's 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 not as. relatable is champagne. Everyone knows champagne, right? Um, This is a a wine called Rioja from Spain, which uh, and most of what's made there is actually red. Okay. It's made from Tempranillo uh, along with Garnacha and Mazuelo and a few other varieties, uh, but mainly based on Tempranillo generally. And it's generally made in a very kind of rich and oxidative manner, kind of like I talked about earlier. So long-term in barrel, uh, long time in barrel, excuse me. And it develops all these savory flavors like tobacco and leather and tar and mushroom and things like that, right? But this is taking a white variety and applying the same principles. So this is a variety called Vieira with a little bit of Maccabeo. And it's from a legendary winery that's been around for well over a century called Lopez de Heredia. And it's a single vineyard called Vigna Tendonia, which is their, their most highly regarded vineyard. Uh, and it spends a, a long time in basically neutral oak barrels. Okay. Um, so it's not getting a lot of those rich new oak flavors like vanilla and baking spice. It's more about the very slow um, exposure to oxygen, developing these kind of nutty type things. And sure. it does spend some time on leaves as well. So some of the same principles that we tasted in the champagne but this is it's kind of almost like really aged uh still champagne in a lot of ways okay. um so it, yeah it's got a lot of nuttiness um it's got a lot of those savory things that we talked about before there's more kind of bruised things that you also
1: 100 percent. So cool. yeah right? that's cool yeah that's what that's the, what i want to do in the summer really pop it right yeah
2: Absolutely. Yeah. You want, like, again, you don't want to be drinking Cabernet when it's 85 degrees out. I don't, anyways. Maybe some people can do it, but for me, it's just, it's just, my palate just gets shot so fast, right? Because you've got wine that's, you know, red wines are generally served at warmer temperatures than whites. Um, and that's something to keep an eye on too for those of you listening that have an interest in in wine and, and let's say only red wine is to really drink your wines at roughly the right temperature. And when I say roughly, I mean for reds, you generally want them around 60 to 65 degrees, no warmer than that um, because all you get is alcohol when they're too warm and they just become overpowering on your palate.
1: Sure. What's the ABV on this one?
2: Uh, so yeah, this one is... Ooh. Twelve and a half percent. Yeah. Yeah. Meaning that you think it's high or low?
1: A little bit high for what you would expect. Okay. Of
2: wine. Yeah. Um, that's. It's not. It's. It's pretty. It's actually on the lower side technically. Although I think what you're getting here is um, there is this like uh, what we describe as almost like aldehydic. So basically, when wines go through a long aging process and they're exposed to more oxygen. Um, the the ethyl alcohol in this, or ethanol, mm-hmm. which is the main kind of what we call drinking alcohol, right? That's the main alcohol produced for fermentation for all the beverages that we love. Um, it will start to oxidize that alcohol, and there's something that's created called acetaldehyde. Okay, I know we're getting a little nerdy and technical here, <laughs> but it's this kind of um, almost, almost like sour apple totally. uh, type taste that can kind of almost add a this feeling of heat, like, like heat, uh, alcohol, heat does to your throat. I think that's what you're, exactly what's happening. yeah. So it's just a little bit of a different expression. It's just another compound that's going on in the wine. Again, don't sweat the, the nerdy chemistry stuff, but, um, that's something that is common. A, a good example of that, uh, where you'd really get high levels of that would be in sherry. So I don't know if anyone drinks sherry anymore. I would, I almost brought sherry today because <laughs> I love it so much. And, uh, I think it, along with champagne or sparkling wine is one of the most versatile wine styles on the planet right. because there's stuff from super vibrant and fresh to uber nutty and complex and savory, like okay. the whole gamut. And then also mm. um, dry to sweet. Most of it's dry, but there is sweet stuff too. So this is almost, it's kind of like a cross between sherry, honestly, and it's champagne, it's this wine. This yeah. Okay.
1: Really
2: yeah, so this is 2008, so it's it's not only, it probably spent roughly... Uh, for these wines, they, uh, this is Reserva, usually around seven years in barrel, mm-hmm. roughly. It, it okay. depends on the vintage. And then in bottle for an additional time. So you are getting these richer, more o- what we describe as oxidative aromas and flavors, right? Um, so, again, uh, similar to what we described in the champagne, but kind of turned up to 11 here, right? right. This is extra baked extra baked uh, citrus and tree fruits, um, extra nutty uh, uh, there is extra savory elements, right? If we want to describe it as schmaltzy chicken skin or we could... Um, for me, this is actually more... There's something about this that reminds
0: me of whiskey. I don't know what Of what?
2: Of whiskey. A whiskey? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's probably the time in barrel. Even yeah, though sure. it's not new barrel because most whiskey is a new barrel. So right. you get a lot of those... But it's
1: like a little bit barrel
2: Yeah. Absolutely. And you have to think of every barrel as its own piece of, quote unquote, terroir as well, Um, because every barrel behaves differently. Every barrel has different microorganisms in it. um, And um, this is blended, right? uh, from, it's not just one barrel bottled, right? They'll, they'll blend a bunch of barrels. But, um, like if you take Sherry, there are certain producers that will bottle just single barrels because they have such a unique character to them. Um, but what you're, we're getting here collectively is the unique character of a bunch of barrels and the wine in barrel for a long time. So yeah, it's, it's really cool stuff. So, Uh,
0: So, so chefs, what would you pair this with if you're cooking some meat?
1: I'm still thinking the same way we were talking earlier with the champagne there's so many different options it's so minerally it's definitely richer right it's not quite as like palate. it has like some sort of richness some some creaminess to it
2: 'Cause you don't have the CO two anymore. So yeah. that so that's adding to the richness yeah. and taking away from the freshening factor of it. Um, it's also way more autolytic, a little bit uh, of acid aldehyde as I mentioned before. So it's just again turned up to more, eleven. So you'd more want like
0: a pork wine than you'd like, a, mm, like wine. a like a rich pork wine. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: I think so. Yeah, like yeah. that would be awesome with like a, a huge fat cap that's yeah. like yeah. jello, you know? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. every bite you get that nice fat bit that just melts in your mouth like and New York here.
1: Yep. Yeah. Definitely like a pork New York. Yeah. Or yeah, that cool. uh, big fatty tom pork chop. Yeah. Man. Or Mr. Tangy's yeah. favourite some pork belly. Yep,
0: pork belly. Like the pork belly. Oh yeah. Oh, that yeah. be good. That'd be good with this, right? For sure.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, something, though, that wouldn't be – so there's some philosophy that goes to flavors of wine and flavors of food, right? Mm -hmm. So a good rule of thumb, and it's not an absolute by any stretch, is if you have a very complex flavored wine like we have here, right, you would generally want to try to keep the food a bit less – a little more straightforward and simple, right? Meaning you wouldn't want to take that pork belly and marinate it in soy and ginger and and
1: all kinds of different spices. Exactly. You'd
2: want to kind of keep it a little more straightforward. Now, again, this is where the nuance comes in. So if you're picking things in that marinade that would work well with this wine, then go for it. But if you want to do something that is like, you know, again, use soy, ginger, blah, whatever, it wouldn't really work as well with this because you have a very complex pork bite and then a very complex wine. It's harder to... Back. You can do it, but it's just a lot harder to get them to jive together because there's so many flavors going on. So as a general rule of thumb, keep one complicated, one simple yeah, in terms of food and before, wine.
1: It's like definitely how you learn to do these pairings as you progress as a cook or a chef. It's like you taste the one and you either try to marry it directly or you yeah. alter it exactly to where the balance... Yeah. You know, it's all about balance for sure. Yeah. But to get that marriage where it's both right in the middle like you're talking about it's a tough thing to do it
2: is it's really tough but that shouldn't deter you from trying right and uh at home doing these things but if you start with that basic principle of simple and complex like one being simple one being complex whether it's the food or the wine taking each role that that will help you get there sooner and then you can start to dial it in by adding things slowly but surely um but that to me is a really actually great mark of a, a amazing restaurant and restaurant staff is that the the wine the beverage people work with the 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 cooks right to really work together to try things not just think they're going to work out of pure theory because there is so much nuance they really have to work together and the chefs have to be willing to create a dish and the the beverage folks have to be willing to open a bottle and they have to all try it together and give feedback together mm-hmm. and and find maybe compromise or 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 maybe find a a solution to making that work better right that's when restaurants really kill it with food and wine pairing because again there's no hard and fast rules and absolute rules when it comes to this stuff it it all is very very nuanced so in some ways that's intimidating but it really shouldn't intimidate you because at the end of the day it's just about eating good food and drinking good wine right for
1: sure i love it
0: yeah so let's uh let's pause for just a sec because i know this guy's gonna pull up And he's real loud.
1: He's telling me turn his truck off. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. Mm. All right. So we're going to be uh, unpacking this uh, Merlino order here, but we're going to just keep rolling with it because we are tasting wines with this master psalm and we're having a good time. And I was just mentioning how cool it is that we're doing a, a meat and wine pairing podcast and we're using all white wines. I thought that was awesome, man. You, we're like breaking the mold. You know, It's, it's you, you would never Mm-mm. think that. You know, most people would never think that. And I think it's really cool giving up some options on some unique things. Um, so, so what's this third wine you have paired with us here?
2: Yeah, so the third one is coming from a region in France called Alsace, uh, which is on the eastern border uh, with Germany. And um, it's a really fascinating region from a historical standpoint, because uh, at certain points of its history, it was part of France, other uh, points it was part of Germany, and it's kind of flip flop back and forth. And as a result, uh, it, it's developed a very unique kind of subculture that's not quite French and it's not quite German. It is Alsace. And it's a breadbasket of really delicious foods and wines, um, some of the best...
0: Yep. Sheesh. We'll just hang on one sec. <laughs> uh, it's, all right. Okay, we're good. Yeah. Let's, let's give it a shot. Okay, let's give it a shot.
2: So going back to Alsace, uh, it, it's a really amazing place from a from a food and culture standpoint because of this interesting history. Uh, like one of my, it sounds weird, but one of my favorite, my favorite period. Jam on the planet is made in Alsace, like jelly jam, you know? Oh, okay. Um, uh, And the food is really interesting because it's a lot of like uh, cured stuff, um, but also, um, again, the big German influence, but French influence, it's very strange, but it's a really cool, beautiful place that sits along the Vosges mountain range, and all the vineyards are planted on the slopes of the the Vosges, and uh, they get really high levels of ripeness there, because they are protected from the weather and the wines as a result become very, very complex. Uh, but it's a tough spot from a consumer standpoint because sometimes the wines have a little bit of residual sugar and sometimes they don't. So, you know, sugar is not very in vogue these days. Um, and I understand why, you know, it can be frustrating to not know what exactly the wine style is going to be. And that's why it's important to develop a relationship with your local wine shop. Um, uh, but when you get the wine that falls within your style, they are just immensely complex. You could write a tasting note on these wines that's, you know, a mile long mm-hmm. because they just can hang on the vine and develop so many flavors for so long. So this is uh, Marcel Dice. It is 2016 Grasberg, which is uh, a really cool site that sits above a very one of the most famous sites in the whole region called Altenburg de Bergheim. And it's a co-fermented field blend. So meaning that it's uh, mainly three different varieties, Riesling, Gewürztraminer, and Pinot Gris, that are all grown together and then harvested together and co-fermented fermented okay. together. Um, and... He's a big proponent of uh, biodynamic farming and um, also the field blends, which is the traditional style from this region. And it does have a little bit of residual sugar. What we will refer from here on out as RS, just to save ourselves some words. Uh, And that's a common wine term, RS, residual sugar. Uh, But it's not at a level that is cloying. Uh, There's still lots of acidity and freshness in this. It's just giving it a little bit of weight. But it also gives it a lot of flexibility in terms of food and wine pairing, because if you have a little bit of spice in your dish, a little bit of residual sugar goes a long way to taming that spice. And so, like, the classic combination would be, you know, Pradekat, German Riesling, meaning, you know, Spätlese or something like that with, like, Thai food, right, or or something along those lines. Um, So this can work in that same – with that same concept. But – at a lower residual sugar rate and is therefore I think more flexible because you don't have as much sugar to contend with. Right. So if you're talking about, um, in this case, bulgogi, (laughs) okay. Uh, like you do the, the, the and ribs, uh, with bulgogi marinade, or that's how I do them at home. Anyways, you do it here with something else, I think, um, you know, slightly sweet, but also slightly spicy, that marinade, right? And so that, way I think, would be perfect with this. Um, this is something where you could take that pork belly that we were talking about earlier and add some zhuzh to it, so you know, like spice some it spice it up, this and this would really work.
1: Yeah, Tons going on in this. Yeah, I mean, it's like... To, you can. I mean, it's like so many different avenues that you can go. I mean, like, really dry cheese, or even a funky cheese. Like, there's... Dry hams, all kinds of different yeah. hams. that can, right? can pick mm-hmm. it up on some smoke here.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, there is this kind of smokiness to it. Um, there's, you know, with these co-fermented wines, what happens is these varieties will all have slightly different vegetative cycles, meaning they will ripen at different rates. And so when you harvest them together, which is not always the case, sometimes they'll go through and they'll pick one variety and then through another, but in the traditional sense of field blends, they will go through and pick everything at once. So that means some things are slightly underripe, some things are slightly overripe, and some things are perfectly ripe in the middle. So they all kind of balance out in the wash generally and the underripe stuff adds more acid. So it compensates for the overripe stuff, but you get all this, this huge array of flavors cause you get underripe flavors, overripe flavors and just ripe flavors all together. And then the longer the wine kind of melds in the, in the fermenter and in the bottle together, like this is 16, right? 2016. So it's had some time in bottle. Um, the more complex it gets because all those things become more cohesive. And so, Again, you're right, tasting a mile long on this thing. It's just so So much going on. So much going on, and it's so delicious. And that little bit of RS is just adding weight in the mid palate and just a hint of sweetness on the finish. But if you had something that was slightly spicy, and I'm not talking real spicy here, like very mildly spicy, you wouldn't even think about that residual sugar, right? And we're only talking about tiny amounts here. This is probably our threshold generally is about four grams per liter, okay? What does a gram look like? A gram looks like a quarter teaspoon. So you're talking about in a a liter of liquid. Um, If four grams is our threshold, you're looking at one teaspoon of sugar, what would look like granulated sugar, in an entire liter. We're not talking about big calorie counts here, okay? And Mm -hmm. I think that that's something that you as as wine drinkers and lovers listening to this need to realize is that a little bit of residual sugar is not going to kill you. It's not a bad thing. It's actually playing a very important role here. And to give you some context, Coca-Cola has about 120 grams per liter. <laughs> okay. So if we're looking at, say, because we're tasting this and our threshold is four, let's say it's at 10 grams per liter, right? We're looking at less than 10% of what a glass of coca-cola has okay so we're not again not talking about a lot of sugar so don't sweat a little bit of sugar it plays an important role it adds complexity to the wine it's not a bad thing and don't please please don't shy away from it
1: yeah it adds diversity to your food bearing right
2: yeah absolutely it gives you more latitude to to experiment with different things exactly you're not so you're not so kind of predetermined because it's like bone bone dry or or for whatever reason you know like You, you, uh, or it has crazy amounts of acid. This kind of really rides the middle so well, like it has some acid, but a lot of phenolic richness meaning a lot of flavor, has a little bit of sugar. It has just like a bit of everything going on, which makes it really, really versatile
1: yeah. Aging. Three grapes in a wine together is not a very common practice. Is that correct? It depends on the
2: region. So if we look at, um, say, everyone's favorite grape, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, right? Sure. Especially when it comes to meat. Um, If you're in, say, Napa. Uh, Could that be what we call a varietal wine, meaning 100 percent Cabernet Sauvignon or 100 percent whatever that variety is? Um, That's quite common. But if we go to Bordeaux, for instance, because they have a a relatively marginal climate, they're right on the Atlantic Ocean. uh, There's often pressure at harvest, so they will often rely on other varieties to add a bit of safeguard from the farming standpoint because Merlot ripens way earlier. So you'll often be a blend of Merlot and Cabernet, right? Um, but we associate Bordeaux with Cabernet because that's the one that everyone loves and because of sideways fucked everything up for Merlot. Still. <laughs> 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 Even though that was like almost 20 years ago. That's,
1: That's crazy. crazy. That, was, yeah.
2: that was, I believe 2005 and we're still Especially feeling the effects there. of that. It's still wow. there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, um, yes and no, it really just depends on the region. Um, and certain regions have different laws that require different grapes, et cetera. Just again, ask your local wine pro what's in it. It okay. makes it life a lot easier. Um, if you have an interest in studying it, cool. But, um, there's a lot, you know, wine's made everywhere around the world it's made in every state in the United States believe it or not every state every wow. state wow. even in Alaska Really? yeah so oh, it's um, it's an extremely complex subject which is you know why I like it because it's it's constantly evolving but as we yeah. mentioned before but also there's so many different iterations of it around the world
1: what grapes do they grow in Alaska <laughs>
2: Mostly hybrids. So what we're tasting today, everything we're tasting today is from a, a set of grapes called Vitis vinifera, which is a European-based grouping of grapes that is responsible for most of the quote-unquote fine wine. Um, we have native grapes here in North America. Uh, on their own, most people don't like them because they have off flavors. Um, but there are folks uh, um, that work in uh, genetics, et cetera, that have taken two different species and hybridize them, cross them to get some of the better flavors from this vinifera and more of the hardiness from the North American varieties like labrusca, et cetera. So, um, they tend to fare weather fare better, excuse me, in tougher weather, colder weather, etc. And they still have good flavor. So they're actually they're really on the rise these days. Hybrid varieties, um, and there's some really fantastic wines that are made from them. So classically, they had a really kind of negative connotation because it's more about making viticulture possible in a in a tough climate mm-hmm. and getting yield. So they are often associated with like cheap high yield wines. Sure. These days. Um, more care is being put into the farming and to the winemaking, and there's some really interesting, delicious wines that are made from hybrids.
0: Yeah, Oh, that's crazy. That's fascinating. Yeah. Wow, my mind is like I blown. I love it, man. <laughs> <laughs> this is cool. <laughs> like this, like this type of wine, like you said, with the flank and ribs, with Charlie's bulgogi. Oh my gosh, this would be so good. This is great. It's just a little bit of sweetness. Pretty it's nice lighter. Really into it. No. <laughs> you, know, you know how much I love those flanking ribs with bulgogi, though, man. That's like, like, I always want to say, like, my favorite steak's like a, just a New York with salt pepper. But no, dude. Like, give me those flanking ribs with bulgogi all day. <laughs> bro, I will not shy away from the Yoshidas. Yeah, we know, bro. But, you know, yeah. hey, if there's no bulgogi in the case, I'm going Yoshidas, Talk man. about residual <laughs>
1: sugar. <laughs> a little bit of sugar in that, man. I got to watch it.
0: Got to watch it. It's like the ones. That so is the
1: Coca-Cola
0: of, of teriyaki. Mugage, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. But um, so you know, we kind of mentioned, we talked a little bit about pairing. You know, with with some wagyu beef. Maybe were some other like varietals or or types of wine that would be really good with Wagyu beef because I think a lot of our listeners love that stuff.
2: Absolutely. If we want to go back to reds for a minute as would be more expected um, something like Syrah would be really fantastic. So Syrah has certain characteristics about it uh, that give it a very meaty character. Right. So there's things called rotundones in them in in Syrah that um, come across as black pepper, as bacon fat. Um, Depending on the ripeness of the fruit itself, when it's harvested, it can express itself in different ways. Also, the winemaking can can affect it. Um, So people often describe them as charcuterie like. Uh, So you can kind of bridge the meatiness, so to speak, between the variety itself of Syrah and the meat itself right okay. so that couldn't be something that can work really really well um you could also look at taking a different approach and because say you know certain cuts of wagyu or american wagyu are gonna be really fatty you can go for more of the acid approach getting something that is yeah. so relying only on tannin getting something that's really crispy and crunchy so something like beaujolais could possibly work oh. or something really fun and different like mandus from um the Savoie from Eastern France could also work really well. Um, uh, Malbec, grown at high elevation in Argentina, not seeing a lot of oak, seeing more like concrete maybe from uh, like Sebastian Zuccardi is a great example of that would be really delicious. And I mean, I mean, if you want to go anywhere for like the Mecca of beef and wine together is yeah. Argentina. Argentina. <laughs> yeah. the, okay. the ritual of the asado, the Sunday cookout that takes all day That you just eat and eat and eat, you know many cuts, different cuts, and many different proteins. It's just like, it's the coolest thing. If you haven't been there, you need to go and experience it. It's just, it's the best. It's the absolute best. So, that's always you know good approach too. Is you you know the old saying of what grows together goes together, right? Which is kind of corny, but it's true, right? You can go to to I don't know Loire Valley and look at those amazing goat cheeses that are made and understand that the goats are eating a lot of the same things that are growing near the vineyards and um you know a lot of sauvignon blanc and Chenin blanc are grown there so there's a lot of bridging almost through terroir in a way because the goats are eating the stuff around the grapes that are growing and there's certain compounds that are shared between
1: craziness that's nuts
2: yeah like all of those things in in your this is the kind of the next wave of looking at wine, in my opinion, is looking at it not as a singular thing, but looking at it as a whole entity, meaning, okay, you have grapes growing in a vineyard, but what else is living around that vineyard? What else is growing around that vineyard? Because when you get into monoculture, that's where things get very sterile and stale and boring. But when you add more biodiversity to the area, and this goes for, for farming beef or any, any farm animals, right? Bees, all sorts of stuff. Honey. Yeah, you can taste the difference in honey, the, right?
1: There's, there's lavender honey. There's, you know, that's specifically made for
2: that reason right 100 so this is what where wine is moving is more towards this kind of entire entity rather than saying this is cabernet right that's it yeah. end of story right that's that's no longer the conversation um and it's slow to move because you know there's some people that are intimidated by that factor we don't fully understand it yet um
1: a little resistance, maybe?
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And there's also a lot of trendy bullshit that is happening, too, at the same time. Yeah. yeah. that You, you, you know, you, we were just, uh, when the truck was here, talking about labeling, and you've done a podcast on that before, how there's so much bullshit within yeah. the labeling of meat. The same thing happens in wine, not only through labeling, but also through just trends about what is good in wine and what is b- bad in wine. You know, like, uh, to get on a soapbox real quick. Um, feel free to edit this out, but uh, is sulfur, right? Like a lot of people are, this is a hot topic in wine media. And now with the average consumer is, does this wine have added sulfur or sulfites, right? Because they've been, they've been painted as a villain. Um, When the reality is that there's very little use in the production of wine, especially when you compare it to any kind of processed food. Um, uh, It's a really small amount in wine and it's also not bad for you at all. Uh, And it keeps the wine in a state that the winemaker intended it to be in your glass and for you to be consuming it as. Um, Because if you don't have a little bit of protection, if you think about the logistics of wine coming from a faraway place, it's generally really bad for the wine. Okay, Mm -hmm. If you want to drink a a no sulfite added wine that was made in your local region, Cool, go for it because you have way more control over the logistics of getting it from A to Z in your belly, right? Um, but if it's coming from France or wherever, long ways away, there's so many opportunities for things to go wrong for that wine and for you basically to be paying for wine that's not in the state it was intended to be in. a lot of
1: variables. Okay. There's yeah. a lot of variables. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Say there's a lot of moving parts. A lot, of, a moving lot of moving lot of parts. parts. <laughs> The old <laughs> Chef Tyler
0: slogan. We it's love I'm it. A lot
1: of moving parts there.
0: No, it's. Good. I mean, you know, we, when we talk about meat, we we talk about how we love getting it from the farmer who we met mm-hmm. into the hands of preservation meats, who we know and are good friends with, and then to us, to our consumers. So it's it's comes from the farm. And the way, and it gets to us the way it's intended yeah. to be, you know, uh. and I think, you know, that there's a lot that, uh, it's very, that means a lot to us it means a lot to our consumers. So when we know it's going we through a bunch of yeah. different hands or, or devaluing itself by the time it gets to us.
2: Absolutely. Or so. degrading, you know, yeah. the quality of it. I mean, food has, a lot of food has the opportunity to be frozen, right? Which yes. freezing is not bad. Okay. People, um, it plays a role and it can be a really good preservation technique. You can't freeze wine. <laughs> it just doesn't work. OK, <laughs> so you need to have some other kind of protectant. And honestly, there is no such thing as sulfite free wine because sulfur and sulfur compounds are created
0: uh, yeah. <laughs>
2: during the acts of fermentation. If you want to drink wine, it's going to have some kind of sulfur compound in it that is naturally created by yeast as it transforms sugar into alcohol, CO2 and heat. You get sulfur compounds. So there's no escaping it. And that's okay because there's nothing wrong with it. Sure, if you were to consume it at high levels, it would be bad. Okay? But we're talking very, very, very small, totally safe levels. If it wasn't safe, we wouldn't be able to do it. Okay? Um, And, again, to compare it to, like, say, dried fruit or many other foodstuffs, there's uh, many multipliers more of of sulfites in those things than there is in wine. So please don't listen to the hype. Okay. (laughs) Move on from sulfur. Yeah. We need to focus on more important things like, uh, uh, packaging choices and our carbon footprint for, uh, you know, transporting those, say those big, you know, star fucker Cabernet bottles that you get out of Napa that weigh literally five pounds yeah. for the, just the bottle. Some in some extreme cases, yeah. um, think of that impact. That's way more important to talk about than if the wine has a little bit of sulfur in it or not. Or, um, let's talk about how much copper is used in the farming that is legally allowed in, in, and necessary to a degree, but allowed in like organic biodynamic, all that stuff. But what, You know, what is the impact on the soil over years and years and years of using that? Because it's a heavy metal. It doesn't go anywhere and you're poisoning the soil. So let's talk about things like that rather than something that is inconsequential as sulfur in your wine. I'm exiting the soapbox now. Soapbox. Stepping
1: yeah. Wow. down. Yeah. Just well, so you knows, my mom might be sending you a bar of soap in the mail. <laughs> yeah. you wash your mouth out. I've uh, already gotten one. I've Manny's already gotten one. one. She's yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought that was part of the jam. You guys swear all the time. We do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we do. Just mama pee. I don't know if she knows
0: that you're her son because you tend to have a little bit of a dirty mouth. Yes, yes. You must get it from your father then. Yes, no. (laughs) So, you know, talking a little bit about the wine labels, is there, I think, Oh, let's start off here. I think a lot of people, a lot of people buy wine based on price, right? I know I, I do like, oh, I need a better bottle of wine. I'm going to go get that $30 bottle instead of the $10 bottle or a mm-hmm. $100 bottle instead of the $50 bottle, right? So is there anything like on these wine labels that you can, you know, look at and maybe, uh, you know, tell that there's they're a little bit better than than, than, than others, you know? Is there, is there one where, hey, this is a $20 bottle, but it's actually better than a $30 bottle because of this? Is there anything like that? Because wine labels are very confusing, I think, to, to, the, to, to us, to, you know, the normal people out there just wanting to have some... some some wine with meat.
2: They are absolutely mm-hmm. confusing. And the problem is it comes down to the individual region. They all have their own uh, requirements for labeling yep. and what that label actually means, right? So uh, a lot of people, I guess a, a good example of this is German wine labels, okay? Mm-hmm. Which intimidate a lot of people because the names are stupid long and like, not stupid, they're very long. <laughs> and um, they it's in a different language, right? So it's yep. intimidating to say the average American consumer. Um, but they're actually really, full of information and really fantastic in a lot of ways. You just need to learn the rules of engagement when it comes to that label. So those labels will tell you pretty much everything you need to know about the wine, where exactly it comes from, what variety it is, um, what ranking the vineyard has, uh, all sorts of stuff. Right. So it's very specific. There are other labels that can tell you absolutely nothing. Okay. We call those proprietary labels. So they could be, um, it's just a name that the winery comes up with for the wine right like um, uh, I don't know um, La Muse right to use a kind of cult Sonoma wine made by Verite Uh We know if you do the research, you know that's Merlot base, and you know you do the research, you know that Verite is in Sonoma. They will say Sonoma on the label, but all you will get basically is Sonoma, the winery name, and the um, proprietary cuvee name. Right? It's not going to tell you that much. Maybe the back label has some on there, maybe not. So there's sometimes yes, there's things you can look for, and sometimes there's nothing you can do other than look it up on the internet, right? Or again, or talk to your local wine shop Mm -hmm.
0: professional,
1: your butcher. Yeah,
0: exactly. we talk about that trust your butcher, get to know them as well, but they, like you're saying the same thing, you know, learn, you know, find mm. a, a Psalm or find that wine shop expert and, and, and trust yeah. their opinion.
2: Yeah. yeah, trust their opinion their information. I mean, you can always double check it. We all have a pocket Oracle yeah. or, with us at all times, right? And not right. a smartphone. Um, but really you should be embracing your, your community and supporting your community and learning through real people rather than your device all the time. It'd be my two cents. Um, mm-hmm. Because there is no cheat code for labeling, unfortunately, and um, it's just so variable from region to region, Uh, and also there's a new trend with the whole natural wine movement to because of they're basically going against the rules of a given appellation, right? So we see this where like this producer is like, I don't want to follow the rules of this appellation, so I uh, therefore legally can't label my wine say whatever Vouvray from the Loire Valley in France, right? I still want to make this. Chenin Blanc but my own way or maybe it's not even Chenin Blanc maybe it's another you know obscure variety that they want to grow in this region they have to downgrade the labeling and basically they can offer less information by law so it gets confusing in that way too so you know there's you need to just trust trust your trust the person that you're buying it from uh, to give you the information and you know someone that's worth receiving your business and your money is going to have that information for you as well so don't Don't be, um, you know, have that expectation as a consumer, as a supporter of a given place. They better know their stuff. Right. uh, As well, if they're expecting to get your business. So it goes both ways. Right. So, yeah, I'll just I'll leave it
0: at that. Yeah, (laughs) it's true. It's true. It is, you know, so instead of going into a big BevMo and just looking at everything, you know, go to a local wine shop and actually talk to somebody and Absolutely. ask them for their advice, man.
1: It's exactly what we say to, you know, people about going out and buying meat, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to go to Costco, yep. you're going to go to the grocery store, or you're going to come here and talk to one of us eye to eye, and yep. where yeah. does it come from, and yeah. what's the name of the farmer, and blah, blah, blah. And, I, and guess what? I,
0: I cooked that last night, and it was awesome, and I used this rub. Check it out. All I mean, that. it just means a lot, yeah, to, to understand that.
1: Well, mm-hmm.
0: Wow, man, we got a lot of information. This is <laughs> yeah. this has been awesome, man. Yeah, this will definitely be a little two-part series for us. Um, it was really cool, though. I mean, what is there anything else that you feel like we need to uh, to discuss when when, when pairing meat and wine, or anything that we left out that we didn't cover?
2: Just to reiterate what we talked about at the beginning, which is there really are no rules. I mean, uh, experiment, experiment, have fun. Try you your know, stuff. exactly. You you should try stuff that you would think that would never work because it will often surprise you. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> sure. There, are, there are pairings that blow me away all the time. I'm like, Oh, let's just try this. It may totally suck. It may be totally awesome. Yeah. Right. Uh, so just, just have fun with it and try, you know, I, what I like to do is I like to drink roughly 70% of the time what I know I'm going to like and, and I'm excited to drink. And then the other 30%, I will try something new and different, okay. a new producer, a new variety, variety, uh, a new approach to the winemaking, whatever it may be. And I'm constantly pushing myself to try something different. And you know what? Sometimes I don't like it, but that's okay. That's part of the process. And at least I had an interesting time with it rather than just going to my back to my old standby and drinking the same stuff over and over again. You know, we have a, um, not to get too philosophical, but we have, we have very short amount of time on this, on this earth. And there's so many amazing things to discover to get stuck in like a small handful of things that we can rely on. And only drink and eat those things is you're really missing out. So just push yourself a little bit. It doesn't need to be all the time. 25, 20 to 30% of the time, push yourself to try new things.
0: That's dope, man. Hey, I got, hey, one last question. I got 20 bucks in my pocket. I give it to you and I go, hey, I need the coolest wine to take to my mom's for a barbecue on Sunday. What, what, What would you get?
2: 20 bucks 20 bucks barbecue okay not knowing your mom's taste because that would be an important part of this equation but um to quickly answer your question i would say go buy some zinfandel uh zinfandel or grenache with barbecue is amazing um as long as it's not too alcoholic Alcoholic of an example, and the barbecue is not spicy because yeah. that's the one in hard fast roll that I live by. But other, other than that, I think Zinfandel is really slept on for barbecue, and especially when it sees a little bit of age. And Ooh. Zinfandel is just not an expensive wine, right? Yeah. You can get a lot of great Zinfandel for 20, 15 to $20. Hmm. Cool.
1: Yeah. Nice. That's not yeah. the answer I was thinking you were going to go to. Well, really? oh, Who are you going to think? i going to say Pinot Noir, or something that's mm-hmm. a little bit more mellow. It's expensive. Yeah, That's right, Charlie. You stuff,
2: can't yeah. you can't get good Pinot Noir for less than like thirty dollars these days mm, at man. the minimum. It's hard. Again, thank you sideways. Thinking <laughs> I was thinking a yeah.
1: crowd pleaser. I don't know. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, you'll be surprised. Zinfandel is a super crowd pleaser because it's got luscious fruit. It hits all the fruit spectrums of red, black, and blue fruits. It generally still has a bit of acid, so it's still refreshing. It has like. It's a little something for everybody, and it kind of it walks that middle line, kind of like this, this white wine to yeah. some degree, uh, where it, it has something for everyone. And it's not too tannic, not too acidic. Um, it just does everything kind of like right down the middle. It's good.
1: I, I had like a it. very interesting pairing, mind-blown, in France last summer. Mm-hmm. Three times in different restaurants, they paired ripe raspberries with English peas. Oh
2: yes, I've had that actually. Yeah, like,
1: no way. One of them was like a smoked, like haddock, like whitefish yeah. with it. It was like, blew my mind. Yeah, I was like, no way is that gonna be fucking good. No, and it's was so it? good. When it's done right, it's so good. It's, it's all about the peas right? being like, not too starchy you go. and try something different. Yeah, because it's like, mm.
2: yeah, nice. right. Yeah, I mean a good example of this that probably everyone can relate to now is remember back in the day when people started putting sea salt on chocolate chip cookies? Yeah. Okay. Boom. Which today seems like, what's the big deal? Like that's how they all come the or should come, regular. right? Yeah. But back then, that was a big deal. Yeah, you know, yeah. back, I'm talking like Salted early 2000s. Karma. Yeah, really? like people were like, what? You know, like that sounds so weird. It's like, yeah, it sounds weird. Just try it. And, it, you know, it works for a reason. And now yeah. it's like main... You know, mainstream to do that, and so Indeed. it just shows you that things are constantly evolving, and things will surprise you that will eventually just become normal and one day. On
0: that note, Chef Charlie's making Ruffles potato chips, uh, Rice Krispie treats. So, Whoa. boom, mind Have you blown. Had no, Bro, dude, it's, come, it's, come it's the next right. thing. Dog. It's the next uh, thing. Yeah. Well, hey! Cheers, yeah. guys! Hey. Cheers, Chris! Thank you so much for that was fun. coming on and of course and hitting that. us up and, and, and yeah, talking wines, man. Let's uh, <laughs> let's sign it off for the Lady J Meat dudes. I'm Evan. Excuse me,
1: I'm Tyler. Charlie. And I'm Chris. <laughs> Boom! We'll see you next time. <laughs>